Stand back. There's a hurricane coming through. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. But be the man. You gotta beat the man. Ooh, yeah. You got something mean, All right, and we're back with yet another edition of Guys Nation Wrestling. I'm John, joined by, as always, with my good friend and co-host, Rob. That's me on the other side of the speaker. Yeah, so we have a uh, little mid-pay-per-view cycle here. Uh, I guess we got a few weeks till Night of Champions. Um, so we got some stuff to go over. Cena's out of the picture. Finally, see the first uh, look at what the new re- or kind of the new reality of the WWE is going to be with uh, Daniel Bryan, Triple H, and kind of new roles. Uh, so. If you want to get in touch with us, we have the Guys Nation Wrestling Facebook page, and uh, we have an email set up, which I believe is wrestling at guysnation.com. I can confirm that. Yep. So uh, any questions or comments, feel free to send them. That's wrestling at guysnation.com. So both uh, John or both Rob and I will be checking that, so uh, feel free to comment to us specifically if you want. Uh, so, like I said, we're going to jump into the new reality of the WWE. Uh, we'll talk about what we heard from Bray Wyatt, uh, AJ Lee, talk about the Ryback bully angle, and much, much more, primetime players, Punk and Heyman. So, let's start off with what they started off with on Raw, and that is Triple H uh, coming down to the ring with Shield standing guard out front. Um so now we see kind of the new look of this corporation they haven't quite named yet. Are you expecting them to give it any sort of name eventually, Rob? No, because I'm not totally convinced that uh, Randy Orton's their guy long term. But, uh, but yeah. I, I think it's just going to be uh, you know Triple H and uh, you know whatever his uh, Secret Service type of goon group of the moment is going to be, which it'll probably be the Shield for quite a while, but. Uh, no, I don't, I don't expect them to, to get any sort of name, make it official. Yeah. yeah, you would think if they were going to, they might have done it by now. I mean, they had ample opportunity referencing evolution and all that. Um, you know, and the Shield are still mercenaries, as far as we know. They're just doing, you know, work for whoever pays them. Justice isn't free, that's what their shirt said. So, right. um, so you know, or, or um, I'm sorry, Triple H goes on. A little uh, soliloquy to open up here. He's got uh, SummerSlam was just business, but then he admitted Raw was personal uh, based on what Daniel Bryan did in the ring with his wife, Stephanie. Um, and then he goes on you know, to say business is booming, look at the ratings, look at the social networks. Um, and he invites Orton out for a personal gift. Um, so kind of an angle we've seen before with the car, but... Uh, you know, Daniel Bryan gets his chance to come out and interrupt. How did you feel Bryan did? This is, to me, this is kind of a big moment. You know, this is the first time we see him as the, the guy that opens up Raw. Uh, you know, there's nobody else to overshadow him as the face. 
Uh, how did you feel he did with this with this promo? I, I thought he did really well. Um, you know, it, it's it's not that hard for him to get the fans to chant yes or to chant no. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's really caught on with them. And obviously, we've heard it, you know, week in, week out. So you know, it feels kind of silly at this point to say that it's really caught on with the fans. But at this point, they were they were chanting no at a time where Daniel Bryan would have had them chant no, without him even being out there. Yeah, right? I noticed that too. So I mean, that's a huge sign, right? Mm-hmm. So I felt like that was a really good sign, and. I'd probably have to watch it again, but from what I recall, it's not like Daniel Bryan was leaning on the crutch of getting them to say yes, getting them to say no. They were already doing it, and they took those cues from him well, which let him build into the rest of the promo. And I, I, I felt like the rest of the promo was cut really well. Yeah, I did too. I mean, he didn't stumble over anything. He had a couple good one-liners to start it off. Uh, saying, you know, the Escalade was nicer than his Honda Fit. Right. Um, and following up on his his work on SmackDown, you know, he keeps calling Orton pretty, which I think is a good way to, to attack him. Um, you know, and, and they keep referencing the face of the company, the face. Um, so, you know, that ties in with the pretty and all that. Twinkle Toes Orton, he called him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I thought it was real... You know, he delivered it well. He made good points, um, talking about how Triple H is just as narrow-minded as Vince. Now he's just a sellout in a suit instead of that rebel he used to be. In the leather jacket, yep. Yeah, exactly. So, some good stuff there. And, um, you know, my I guess my overall question was, did we feel like it was exciting enough? Was it passionate enough? Because I know one of the criticisms of Daniel Bryan in the past, before he's really got put in this position to be delivering so many promos, was people were worried is this guy dynamic enough? You know, can he elicit a response from the crowd? I mean, obviously he can with the yeses, but is his delivery and, and his passion, you know, does that come through enough uh, to make you feel that you're witnessing, you know, a next top star that's going to kind of, you know, get your attention and, and uh, you know, drive pay-per-view buys and things like that? It, it did for me at least... Um, in the spot he's in right now. I mean, he's he's the underdog. That's going to last for a little while. Uh, you know, he's still not at the point where he's a bona fide champion. He's a guy that has already cemented his spot in the main event. He still feels like he's trying to get there, even though it's obvious that, you know, they're banking on him and that he has all the tools to be there. But to me because he still feels like he's trying to get there because it feels like they're still cementing his spot. You know, he, he still, he still kind of lacks that credibility, but in terms of being the underdog, it feels right. It feels impassioned. It feels real. Um, and I think they're doing a good job with that. Yeah. And I think he's, he's getting plenty of help, um, you know, from the, you know, from what triple H says, um, you know, the way they depict him with the camera angles sometimes. Uh, so, yeah, you're seeing that underdog story uh, structured really well here. Um, Triple H, you know, calls him Jiminy Cricket, you know, when you wish upon a star, blah, blah, blah. Right. His horrible singing. Uh, although I give him credit for attempting it. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and, and he goes back to the A player thing. You're not an A player. You're a B plus at best. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's nothing new, but I think uh, you know they're continuing that angle of saying who's the face of the company. Um, and Triple H, I, I think you made an interesting point at the beginning that you're not quite sure Orton's necessarily their guy. Right. Um, and yeah, he he kind of he does seem somewhat non-committal to Orton at points. Um, you know, he, he basically said business is booming due to Orton, but, you know, and then gives him a gift and all this. And it's, it's kind of like disingenuous, you know, it just didn't seem that, right. uh, that real. And then later on when uh, you had the whole backstage thing with Brian and the, and the Escalade, a nice, uh, a nice old move they do where they where they damage the car. Although this time they didn't smash it like we've seen with Kofi and some others. Yeah. Um, went with the graffiti angle. I, I guess that was to me at least they didn't rehash something we've seen every, you know, every other year. Yeah, I mean, I was half expecting him to jump off the stage and throw something through a window, or you know, when they cut backstage and he was you know sitting there. Obviously the car was behind him. I was expecting him to throw a sledgehammer through the window or something. Yeah. And you know that would have been that would have been all right. It would have been a nice little moment, uh, but yeah, it would have been rehashing something we've seen you know half dozen times over the past fifteen years. Um, but yeah, I, I like the direction they went. Uh, you know, it hadn't occurred to me to uh, to call it a, a yesca yescalade. Right. Uh, I really like the term. Uh, yeah, you get the feeling they picked that car specifically to have that pun. You know? Yeah. If if they didn't, then uh, it's it's a really good coincidence. But, right. Uh, but so just, yeah, he he I, cuts I the thinking, promo and reveals the yeses all over the car. What were you gonna say? I was gonna say um, the one thing I will say over this angle: a lot of people are saying that uh, you know Randy Orton is maybe you know not the right person to pick because of you know the stuff that he's been through with the McMahon family. But one thing I will say is that. Uh, if you were trying to convince people that uh, Triple H should pick Dolph Ziggler or uh, Alberto Del Rio or uh, Mark Henry to be the company guy, I feel like it, all of this wouldn't have worked out so well. I know, I know we're going to talk a little bit about Randy Orton in a few minutes, um, and I won't, I won't kind of get into that yet, but uh, I do feel like they at least picked a guy who has you know, a, a, a look to him uh, I think Michael Cole or JBL might have said something about, uh, you know, if you were going to build a superstar from scratch, you, you'd probably build somebody that looks a lot like Randy Orton. And uh, I do feel like they've at least taken a guy who has fairly good amount of credibility with all the title reigns he's had and, uh, you know, a prototypical body to him that uh, I will say that, that that's just one point that just stands out to me from, from all this and kind of yeah. juxtaposing Daniel Bryan in that. Yeah, it's the perfect foil for, for the angle they're trying to go with um, to say Bryan's not good enough. Uh, you know, because Orton has the family history. Um, so, you know, that makes him like a blue blood, almost right. like Triple H. Um, and then, yeah, and the size and everything. He's got all the stuff that Bryan doesn't have. Um, right. And another key issue with Randy Orton is the way the women love him. Um, you know, obviously because he's good looking. Right. Uh, because of his sterling personality. <laughs> but, right. uh, so, 
you know, they've eventually got to figure out a way to pull some of the women off him and get them towards Brian. I'm not sure. Somebody suggested on Reddit that he needs to punt kick Brie Bella or something. Oof. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I think there's still some work to be done to get people all completely converted to Brian. Um, not only the Orton women fans, but also maybe some of the kids with John Cena. You know, and I think that was part of Daniel Bryan thanking Cena. Um, it's a nod to somebody that still has a lot of fans, and he's trying to convince them to come to his side. Yeah, um, I, I still think Daniel Bryan's going to need a haircut and uh, at least some sort of beard trimming before uh, too many people are going to get into him. Well, we'll see. You know, they got a lot of time to work with here. Um, yeah. Sometimes we end up liking people we didn't like at first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, and back to Orton, you know, and I wanted to say something about your original comment about he wasn't, you know, they seem somewhat noncommittal or not, you're not sure that he's the, the real guy they want. And I think what, what speaks to that was the ending of this um, segment when Triple H and, and Orton and Brad Maddox are back there and they discover the SUV, you know, and Maddox says, you know, I want you to know everybody was laughing backstage, blah, blah, blah. Triple H is like, you know, this car is my personal property. Um, and then the WWE belt's laying on the hood, and he says, and this belt is my personal property as well, and Randy Orton's carrying it for me. Right. So, I mean, that's pretty damn noncommittal. I mean, that's that's him saying, look, if I don't want this belt on Randy Orton, I'll just put it on someone else. Right. Um, you know, and then he goes on to say anyone that thinks... Uh, about helping out, anyone that thinks about crossing the line, anyone that thinks, he keeps saying thinks, will be fired. Um, which I think is another nod to the to the police state we've been kind of tossing around. So, you know, I think overall what, the point of that is, you know, they're throwing in these little clues within the speech um, that kind of speak to some of our suspicions about, about where the story's going. Right. Yeah, I, I think they're doing it in a... Uh in a really good way, I think, um, the way Triple H is going about it, and I guess the writers um, are going about it. Um, really good. Really so well. in, addition, in addition to Daniel Bryan taking on a new role, um, and so far I think we're, we're both have a positive review on that, Triple H is taking on a new role. You know, we last week we saw Vince McMahon and Stephanie McMahon you know, and they were all a united front. This week, there's no Vince. He's barely even mentioned. Um, so you fully have Triple H taking over the the old Vince role. I mean, it remains to be seen whether he'll act quite like him. Obviously, he is a different person. Um, but how do you feel that he's been doing so far in this role? Does it work for you? Um, do you want it to continue? Do you think that this can can be something akin to what the old... Mr. McMahon character was. Yeah, in some ways, I think it works better for me than the old Vince McMahon because you know the old Vince McMahon, he was kind of a caricature. He was like a like a evil mastermind, right? I mean, he was, you know, he he had that strut to him that yeah, okay, some people might walk that way, but I really doubt it. You know, some people might act the way he does, but you know, few and far between. And with Triple H, it's starting to seem more natural. Um, as he gets more into the nuances of it, 
you know, it's it's more of a complicated thing, and uh, it's it's not it's not as straightforward as what Mc, as what Vince McMahon used to do, and uh, I think here in 2013, I think that just I think that's just more appropriate. I think it works better. Yeah, yeah, it's it feels fine to me so far. The only gripe I have is that I almost wish if he was gonna. You know, it seems like they planned this for a long time. They knew he was eventually going to take on this sort of executive role. I I wish he would not have wrestled as much over the last year or so. Uh, right. He's a little too close to having been in the ring. So we're constantly going to have in the back of our mind, okay, is he going to do a match? Is he going to do a match? Is he going to do a match? Um, rather than being able to focus on just his role as an executive. Yeah, and I think that's uh, I think maybe point. if he had a couple years off before he did this role, it would have been better. Yeah, I think that's a fair point, especially because, uh, you know, I think a lot of Triple H's detractors, myself included, would point to the fact that uh, when Triple H sees something going um, that's gaining in popularity or, you know, is the focal point of a show or, you know, something where uh, he feels like, you know, he could kind of get in on that, he uh, he inserts himself there. Yeah. Um, I mean, it certainly happened with uh, CM Punk. It certainly happened with Brock Lesnar. Uh, you know, it just it keeps happening. And uh, you know, if I, I feel like you're you're right. If um, if he would have been you know distanced a little more from the ring, if you know maybe his only opponent over the last couple of years would have been Undertaker, that could have been it. But yeah, um, yeah no, he's he's getting way too involved. Uh, in the past couple of years to to make me think that he won't step in the ring. Right. And I mean, and just recently we had the, the Curtis Axel situation where we fought him a couple of times. I mean, I guess they tried to make it seem like he can't go in the ring anymore, but I mean, who really believes that? Right. I mean, w- would, would, you, uh, would you say it's out of the question that uh, over the next 12 months that Triple H might put the WWE Championship on himself? I don't think it's out of the question, no. Right. I mean, Vince McMahon won himself a Royal Rumble when he certainly shouldn't have um, back in the day. But, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, could, I could certainly see Triple H just saying, you know, Randy Orton's not cutting it anymore. You know, we're going to have a match right here and now, and boom, he just beats him, and now Triple H is champion, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, he can certainly pull the strings to whatever he desires. Um, now, I think another interesting uh, angle to all this is what we saw on the on the stage uh, when everybody had to go out there and watch Brian have the gauntlet. I don't know how much if you wanted to spend any time on the gauntlet match itself. I mean, there were a couple good moments there. Um, you know, to finish off Rollins, he had that like almost a super German suplex attempt, but it turned into like a flip almost. Yeah, it flipped him off the top rope. Yeah, it was, yeah. That was a pretty good spot. I mean, yeah, there were a couple of good spots. I really really love the submission that uh, Daniel Bryan does. I, I think it's I think it's called a bow and arrow submission where he lays on the mat and he kind of hooks the guy's legs and arms and holds them up in the air. Yeah. And then and then he, he does the variation on it, which I love and I think would be extremely painful for anyone to, to be in where they they get their head bent back in that move. I keep waiting for somebody to tap out to that because I would tap out like a little bitch if someone did that to me. But uh, but I digress. Yeah, I mean, the match was really good. 
I liked how they uh, they ended it. It wasn't you know just your straightforward let's let's have this guy win and then let's have him beat this guy and then let's have him beat the third guy or the third guy beat him. Uh, yeah, it it left both parties strong. You know, he got a win over Rollins, but you know then they interfere in the Ambrose match and so you know he doesn't look like a complete pushover because he already beat one of them and you could see a chance that he might have beaten Ambrose there because he had him in the submission. Yeah, I was almost expecting Dean to tap out to that, but uh, I'm glad they didn't. Yeah. So they leave all that intact. Triple H um, shows his control over the shield by motioning them to you know, do the powerbomb and all that. Now, yeah. what I thought was interesting is before the match, everybody's out on the on the stage. You know, he Triple H forced all the superstars to watch what happens to Dan and Bryan. Um, and you have Ray, Renee Young try to interview... Dolph Ziggler and Big Show, uh, who were the two that spoke out the prior week and had to face the Shield, and then the Miz, for whatever reason, she picked him, you know, to speak out as well, and uh, everyone refused to say something, basically. Right. A little odd how they, a little awkward how they did it, but you, I guess we got the point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, that begs the question: Do we see someone, you know? "Quote unquote," crossed the line. Um, you saw the you know Big Show was positioned right there in the center. Um, the fans started chanting his name a little bit when Brian was getting you know triple teamed. Um, so I mean, do we see anybody stepping out of line to help Brian at some point? I guess is the ultimate question. And if so, who would it be? Well, I think so long as they keep the stipulation going, where anyone who steps out of line is going to be fired. I think you're gonna you're gonna see um, people not get involved um, in matches like like the one we saw in Raw or to end Raw, but I think I think you might find a situation where it it gets under Big Show's skin to a to an extent that uh, he can't hold back anymore and he demands a match, you know, and and even if it's just demanding a you know a um, a gauntlet match of his own or a handicap match of his own, I feel like Big Show is going to be the one to get involved. And it plays out really well with uh, he and Mark Henry and, and the tag titles and the Shield. Well, what about this? This is something that I noticed on our favorite forum, Squared Circle, on Reddit, which I thought was an extremely keen observation. Big Show, lest we forget, has an ironclad contract. So you could easily see him stepping out, remembering that he has that ironclad contract, and when they try to fire him, he whips it out. Nice. Yeah, that's that's a good pull. That's something that uh, is not so far removed that I could see them. I could I could certainly see WWE using that as part of the angle, where you know Big Show says, "Oh yeah, hey, remember this," and and it's not so far removed that. Uh, I'd totally forgotten all about it. I mean, that's that's something where in the back of my back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, John Laurinaitis, uh, that whole situation, he got fired or something, and then got brought back. Ironclad contract, yeah, okay, that that's ringing bells with me. That's a mm-hmm. good pull. That's a that's a good callback. That's a good uh, way for Big Show to to assert himself. I'm still not sure why they wouldn't have done that. Maybe on Raw, but I guess. Well, I guess, uh, you know, they got to build the drama. Yeah. You know, because I, I think overall what we, what I expected, and I think I mentioned last week, is that 
I expect the next several shows to be dark, you know, for the heels to be on top at the end, for everyone to feel in danger. Um, and so you have to have at least a few weeks in a row here where, you know, nobody can figure out how to how to combat what's going on. Yeah, I, I guess it probably would have been too soon for Big Show to call that in, um, you know, on this on this edition of Raw on the, uh, yeah. the August twenty seventh edition of Raw. But maybe maybe Big Show shouldn't have been there. Maybe it should have. Maybe they should have been staring down other guys. I don't know. But sure. but yeah, your your point's well taken. And I think you do need uh, to establish the dark days of Triple H's reign and then build in to where people start crossing the line. Yeah. Uh, so, all right, moving on from that, you know, another issue somewhat related to this uh, whole storyline situation is, you know, Randy Orton positioned as the, the quote-unquote face of the company, the hand-picked champion. Um, I thought it was interesting that, you know, it's not like it's a shock because really the ultimate storyline right now is Daniel Bryan, but, you know, you saw... Randy Orton face Christian at kind of like the beginning of the second hour of a three-hour show. Right. A uh, little odd for the match placement. You know, if if he's the one driving uh, business as Triple Orton, or as a <laughs> Triple Orton, as Triple <laughs> H uh, suggested in the opener, uh, then wouldn't he be the one to close the show? Right. So it's uh, kind of, you know, if, if you really look at it... Uh, you know, the, in the kayfabe sense, Triple H made a comment on Raw about how um, you know he's doing what's best for business, and uh, he's you know he's putting Daniel Bryan in the place that he should be. You know, he made comments like that. And if you really look at the subtext, maybe he is doing what's best for business. Maybe what's best for business is a heel champion and an underdog Daniel Bryan because. You know, Daniel Bryan is the face of the company and carrying the company and having to find, you know, big bad heels to defend against. Maybe that's not what's best for business at this point. Maybe what's best for the business at this point is to have Daniel Bryan be the one chasing it. Yeah. yeah. And and he reiterated that when he put him in the gauntlet match. He was like, I'm doing this because I think it's best for business. And, you know, keep saying that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and so it makes sense because he's he tried to position everything he's doing as either for business or for personal, and right. he admitted what happened on Raw last week was personal at the end, uh, and then everything thereafter he's claiming is for business. Right. So yeah, I think you're right in a sense that he could truly think, in a Cape Fabe sense, that what's best for business is Daniel Bryan to be denied the championship, but also be so close to getting it, you know, and be chasing and things like that. Yeah, because, uh, you know, the background here, I've got uh, I've got Raw running um, you know, on the DVR, and uh, I've got Randy Orton against Christian, and it's uh, two hours and five minutes into the show, and they're nearing the end of the match. So mm. it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting situation because, you know, I don't know... I don't know that uh, this is all because of Christian's stature. I don't know that, you know, Christian's the one that's keeping this match from being, you know, three hours into the show. Right. Um, but you could see, you could see Orton, you know, if they do this again next week. He's yeah. Say, wait, 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 why am I, why am I not at the end of the show here? You know, what's going on? 
Right. For for everybody who complains that John Cena is the last match on a pay-per-view, regardless of whether he's champion, regardless of whether he's fighting for a championship, that you know his match always goes on last, you don't have that situation with Randy Orton here. And uh, they could have very easily put Daniel Bryan against The Shield two hours into the show to kind of give you a spot you know, in the middle of the show to say, look, this is how we're treating Daniel Bryan, and you should hate it, and you should really hope that he runs out during the match between uh, Orton and Christian. And they could have very easily done that, but I think I think it's a good sign for people who are hoping that Daniel Bryan continues to be on top of the card and continues to get his shot. For anyone who's thinking that uh, Daniel Bryan's going to get buried back in the mid card like Dolph Ziggler kind of has, um, I think this is a very good sign. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, so there's a lot to look forward to. Um, I think we covered every angle of that situation. Uh, before we get over to the break, we wanted to touch on the primetime players and how they've kind of begun a feud with the Real Americans. Now, we didn't really get a chance to mention last week, um, you know, the big story that happened just before SummerSlam, you know, given that we only have an hour to discuss SummerSlam and Raw. We didn't mention that Darren Young came out uh, right. to TMZ. Uh, kind of an odd situation. You know, they they find him in an airport uh, and just throw the question at him. See, I, mean, I guess you got to assume they had some sort of tip. Uh, but either way, he decides to reveal it. Uh, he looked like he kind of wanted out of the interview if you watch the video. Um, but it's out there, and WWE's been supportive. You know, Vince said something on Twitter, Triple H, everybody. Um they appear to have just made it something where, you know, it's his personal life. It has nothing to do with his gimmick, with his, you know, his role in the company. Um, and I would probably assume that they even knew already, um, given that you have someone like Pat Patterson that's been employed for years, and he's right. been out of the closet for 30 years or however long it is. Yeah. So probably not a big deal to them. But either way, what we see happen all of a sudden is they're getting some matches. Um, they put him out there against the real Americans, and which is the perfect way to turn somebody face, right? Because um, you have Zeb Coulter cutting these hateful promos, and then you know everybody kind of likes the primetime players anyway. They probably shouldn't have been heels. Yeah. Uh, so now they're getting some matches, and I think you were pretty excited about how they're deciding to start a feud here. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm a fan of tag team wrestling. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about that every single show, every every single chance that I get. Um, I love tag team wrestling. Um, I I think it it provides tons of opportunities for for both guys and tons of storylines and whatever. Um, I'm really hoping that this is a case where uh, the primetime players were going to be getting more uh, matches anyway, and somehow they worked that into. Uh, you know, the fact that Darren Young is now being talked about on TMZ and, you know, all the other websites that uh, cover that he's sort on, of thing. He's on Good Morning America, I think. Yeah, so, I mean, they're getting a lot of PR on this. You know, they're getting a lot of marketing. And, you know, when you're doing that, you can't be, well, you know, what's this guy doing on Mondays and Fridays? Well, he shows up once a month, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you essentially had to put him in a match. Yeah, because they potentially had a lot of people tuning in that hadn't before to see what the deal is with Darren Young. Yep, and uh, I I like 
the fact that uh, they won a tag match, and I like the fact that they continue this feud. You know, they they're building up something with the the real Americans. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, I kind of like the fact that you know they've given us two straight shows of um, one of the guys from one of the tag team against one of the guys from the other tag team, right? And then you know on the next show they switch. Yeah, uh, yeah, I like that move. Um, gives the guys a lot to do, changes up the dynamic. Because uh, if they were just to have two straight tag matches, you know, potentially you're seeing the same spots over and over or whatever. So. Yeah, and I certainly don't put it past WWE to book it like that, just to say, oh, okay, we want to build up tensions between uh, primetime players and real Americans. Well, let's just book them in tag matches four weeks in a row and then have a pay-per-view match. They, they do that sort of stuff all the time. Mm. Uh, but one, one, thing, one thing I'm a little surprised at, uh, there's not, at least as far as I've heard, there's been no um, even slight references by Zeb Coulter um, about uh, Darren Young. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little surprised too, but I'm also thinking we're not out of the woods yet. Yeah. Um, I could see a promo being cut, you know, after these past two losses where he's so frustrated that he says, you know, because I believe he said something about like, or I don't know if he specifically said it about gays or what, but, you know, that that's what's wrong with America. Um, or at least somebody yeah. online suggested that he had said that before. I don't know yeah, if that's I mean, legit or not, but you could see him cutting something like that, you know, out of frustration. Yeah. Yeah, and, and honestly, I would be a little disappointed if they did it, but because uh, I, I don't feel like this feud needs that sort of um, <laughs> that sort of aspect to it. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I think I think there's enough in there where you know these these two teams want to be you know on top of the division. They want to get the next title shot. They've they've had their chances in the past. You know the different guys involved. And I, I just hope they they keep it on that level because at some point Zeb Coulter could be a great manager, not just because he says things that people like to boo, but because he's just a good manager, right? I mean, Jimmy Hart was a really good heel manager. Bobby Heenan was a really good heel manager. And it had to do with the way they acted as a manager, not not because they were spewing rhetoric that didn't have anything to do with the opponents. You know it would be great? That just kind of popped into my head. If they do eventually some sort of angle, you know, with like vignettes where he's forced to hang out with the primetime players. Um, and Who's so they, they'll take him, yeah, as some uh, sort of uh, <laughs> some sort of punishment, you know, some sort of he needs to have sensitivity or, or whatever. Right. Um, and so they, they take him out of the town, right? They'll take him yeah. to like a club or, you know, to go eat or something like that and, and just have him in all these awkward situations. Yeah, no, that could be Which I think would be great. And then, you know, you could eventually, if you really wanted to go all the way with it, you could have him, like, realize he was wrong and all that kind of crap. But, uh, you know, that, that could be a fun way because the draw of the primetime players is not only are they good in the ring, but they're funny. Oh, yeah. You know? So they got to get a chance to show that eventually. Um, I think something yeah, like that would be really cool. Yeah, they've they've had a couple of times where they've they've shown flashes of that here and there, but there's only so much you can do in the middle of the ring. You're cutting a promo. There's only so much you can do on the stage. But like Daniel Bryan and Kane showed us, 
when you get things going backstage and you know in these pre-taped uh, situations, that's where you can really get gold stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, and it, and it translates to the ring. You know, once oh, yeah. once people get excited about seeing those videos and they get excited about seeing them in the ring or afterwards. Um, and I could see really ultimately what they're doing is just kind of giving them a shot at being that face tag team. You know, we saw the Usos had a shot for the last month and a half. Now they're kind of gone. <laughs> I mean, we haven't yeah. seen them in a couple shows. So maybe they're just deciding, okay, now we're going to give the primetime players a shot at this um, and see where it goes. You know, if they generate a better reaction than the Usos did, maybe they get a chance with the belts, you know, something like that. Yeah, and, and honestly, I think the Usos have a, uh, you know, a limited, um, limited amount to offer. Because, yeah. I mean, I, I still can't tell you the difference between the two guys. I'm usually good at picking up on stuff like that. I mean, my, one my has a tattoo. Or, one has a tattoo on his left uh, breast area. Right. You know, I think that's how most people tell them apart, but I haven't quite figured out which one's which. <laughs> right, and, and unless they're both slightly above mediocre talent, then... Uh, I haven't even noticed a, a difference in their in-ring ability. I mean, I, yeah. the Bella Twins, there's a difference. Um, you know, there's just... They can't both be that mediocre. <laughs> I mean, Right. They're not differentiated yeah. at all. Right. And with the primetime players, you've got two guys who, uh, you know, could be uh, significant parts of the WWE roster for various reasons. And yeah. so I think, I think you have to take primetime players to the next level. Um, it's probably time a year ago or more, but uh, yeah. Yeah, they, they need to get there. I think they got held back by that AW fiasco, but you know, whatever. It's yeah. all it's all in the past now. So, looking forward, uh, we're gonna hit a break here, and we wanted to touch on Alberto Del Rio and Christian. You made a post on Facebook about some disappointment and what they did with those guys. Um, AJ Lee drops the pipe bombshell, as they called it, hashtag pipe bombshell. Um, and, you know, we'll talk about Punk Heyman, Bray Wyatt, Ryback, all that other stuff. Be right back. <laughs> 